Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Jonah chapter 3. And uh, we've been in a series talking about uh, the, the will of God. The title of our series is God's Will, My Life. God's Will, My Life. And as we've been going through this series, we've been discovering some things about the will of God. Now, I know a lot of people, when they showed up for this series, they were hoping I would give them a formula that they could plug in and walk out at the end of these four weeks and know exactly what they're supposed to do, okay? And I have done that. The only problem is this, is that a lot of people, they want the will of God to be something that is, that is about them. Well... They want the will of God like, okay, what's the next job? You know, who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to live? All those things. But what we've been discovering is this, is that you are where you're supposed to live. That's why you're here, okay? If you're married, you're married to the person. Come on, somebody. You're supposed to be married to, all right? So don't be like, is this the right one? No, if you're married, it's the right one, okay? Now, if you're not married, okay, and you're, you're, you're dating, make sure, okay? That's good. But here's what we've discovered, that the will of God for all people is to be in relationship with him. God's will, my life, surrender to him, walking in complete obedience, that God calls people to himself. We discovered out of Jonah chapter 1 that God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, but Jonah did what? He ran. And the Bible says when he ran, he ran from the presence of the Lord. It wasn't just him running from the will of God for that moment. The Bible literally says, and Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. That tells me this, when we run from God's will for our life, we're actually running from God's presence. Okay? But we see that God calls people. God calls sinners to repentance to get right with him. That God's not when any should perish, but all should come into relationship with him. But then once we're in relationship with him, God calls believers to live a life of simple obedience to him. We're his vessel, he's the potter, he made us, and whatever he says, we do. The Christian life is not really a complicated thing. We've been discovering that. It's actually pretty simple. A lot of people running around, you know, what's the will of God for me? What's the will of God? The will of God for your life is to be in relationship with him. Okay, delight yourself in the Lord. Okay, and then out of that, he'll give you the desires of your heart. What's that mean? As you delight yourself in him, he will direct you. He will point you in the right place. He will open up a job that you actually like. I believe that with all my heart. Okay? He will do all those things. The problem is, is we reverse the order. And we say, God, give me the desires of my heart, and then I'll delight myself in you. Okay? That's not the way God works. We delight in him, and as we delight him, because the number one thing he wants from us is an intimate relationship. And then out of that, then all these other things are like, wow, he's a good God. Is anybody with me this morning? Okay. Out of Jonah chapter 2, we see this, that that Jonah, after he ran from the presence of the Lord, that God is so gracious and so good and so sovereign that he actually hurled a storm upon Jonah's life. You remember that? We talked about that. And you can catch all this uh, through our podcast and live feed if, if you want to get caught up. But that storm that happened, the one that was, you know, crazy upon the boat and all the, all the experienced ship workers were like freaking out like we're going to die, that storm, crazy storm, God did that storm. Why did God cause that storm? He caused that storm to bring Jonah back into his will. Are you with me? Okay? Now a lot of times we try to blame the storms in our life on the devil. Does anybody ever feel sorry for the devil every now and then? Stop blaming the devil. Sometimes God actually throws storms in your life to get you back on track. 
And so God does this to Jonah. Jonah now decides, you know what? It'd be far better for me to die. And it's a crazy thought, you know? Far better for me to die than to, than to go to Nineveh. Okay? And so he tells the people to throw him overboard, that he's the problem, so they throw him overboard. But God is so good, he's so gracious, that he wants you to fulfill the call on your life, that he wants you to fulfill his will, that he sends something else. What did he send? He sent a big fish. Okay? And this is not a fictional story. This really happened. We know that because Jesus actually references it in the New Testament. I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah, who spent three days and three nights in the belly of the well, so should I, so three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the earth. So he references a true story. We know it's a true. This really happened. Big fish. Okay? I don't know about you, but I know what fish smell like on the outside. Come on, somebody. I love a fish when it's, I know some of y'all into sushi. I'm not there yet, all right? I'm trying to get there, but, but I mean, think about it, man. Like, like Jonah was in the middle of that sushi roll. Come on, somebody. There he was, living in it, right? And we discover this out of Jonah chapter 2, that it's those seasons of confinement in our life that lead us to refinement. That God will put us in a season of confinement like he did with Jonah until we come to our senses and realize this ain't about us. It's about him. His kingdom come. His will be done. Is somebody with me today? Okay? And Jonah finally comes to that conclusion, repents, and it's so cool because the minute he repents, verse 10 of chapter 2, and God spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited him up onto dry land. Wow. I know. It's disgusting. But it's better than being in the fish. Come on, somebody. Okay? So now here we are in Jonah chapter 3, discovering God's will on life. God calls, people run, God creates storms, people repent. Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh this time, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out yet 40 days. Now listen to his message. This is his sermon, all right? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Man, this message is for everybody. The word reached the king of Nineveh and arose from the throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and, and sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them all uh, let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they uh, turned from their evil way. This is such a powerful verse. When God saw what they did and they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Is anybody excited for that verse right there? 
Come on, somebody. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and active. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments, God, you would speak to us. God, I pray that, God, your will would be discerned. God, your will would be discovered, hallelujah, for our lives, and that we would know you in a more intimate way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. As we've been on this topic, um, I've been thinking about this, and, and how many would say that you've been in that season, maybe you're in that season now, where God, I just want to know what your will is for my life? Three of you. The rest of you just, boom. Okay, all right. The rest of you are like, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, hold on to it. You, you may need it sometime. Okay. I believe we all come to that, that, that season every once in a while where, where we're wrestling with things. Maybe it's a, a move that might take place. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a, a relationship. Or, or maybe it's a ministry opportunity that, that we come to those seasons in our life that, that God, what should I do? And there's nothing wrong with that question. But, but what we're going to discover today uh, through a portion of this message is that we need to take that question through a couple of filters. And we're going to look at that today. But one of the things that, that I've noticed with my daughters, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, and one of the things I, I've noticed with my daughters is as they're growing up, they are looking to mom and dad for a lot of that. They're looking to mom and dad like, what's the will of God for my life? Very simple. The will of God for your life is you're in third grade, go to third grade. Will of God for your life is you're in first grade, go to first grade. Come home, play really hard, go to bed at seven, wake up, do it all over again. Come on, somebody. Okay. But my daughters have actually been to, begin to catch you know, what the, the, what, what the will of God is for their life. I mean, uh, my Cara, and even Faith, but Cara, man, she is a little evangelist. Man, she tells, she, she goes on campus with cards and invites her friends. Um, there are people that, that come to our church right now and are actively involved in our church because my daughter has given them an invitation. Her teachers have come, and, and it's just because she's handed out cards, she's a little evangelist, man. It's awesome, okay? And, uh, and we're seeing this, this happen in my, in my daughters. And, and here's the thing is that um, we were talking the other day, and actually this is kind of cute, but we had uh, career day. They originally had nerd day at school, but then I think some people thought, wait a second, that doesn't sound nice. And so they changed nerd day to career day. I was actually one of those people. I didn't email anybody, but I was kind of like, wow, you know? I mean, what, what do the nerds dress up like? If, anyway, just kidding. Um, <laughs> just kidding, okay? <laughs> I mean, think about it, right? And so they, they changed it to career day. And so Faith, what do you want to be? And Faith wanted to be a veterinarian. Just like that, a veterinarian, okay? So Faith, you know, we just, and it was like, Carl, what do you want to be? She was like, I want to be a preacher. I was like, all right, you know, okay. I was just as proud of Faith for wanting to be a veterinarian as I was, uh, you know, for, for Carl to be a preacher. And so, you know, she had her little head mic thing, like, like dad, you know. And, and she was like, mom, what do you normally wear when you're preaching? And, and so she got all stylish, you know, and did her hair kind of, you know, like mom's. And sadly, she carried her Bible all day at school. And, uh, and so that was, that was, you know, and so, so they went and we got back and I was like, man, you know, I, I can't believe that they, you know, they chose on their own. And, and my wife said, you know, Ben, I just want to make sure that she's not doing it to please us. And I thought about that for a moment and I, I understood my wife's heart and where she was coming from, but I thought about it for a moment and I said, you know what, babe? I said, even if she does, is doing it to please us, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, the Bible says this, to train up a child, in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way they should go, so when they get older, they won't depart from it. Listen to me, parents. If you can, if you can teach your children, now listen to me, obviously there's a balance, but if you can teach your children to please you, when they grow up, they will want to please God. 
The problem with our society when we look at what's happening and people running around looking for the will of God, I believe is this, is that parents have not done their job training their children up in the way they should go. They have not parented them. They have not taught them to please. There is nothing wrong with pleasing your mom and dad. The Bible says, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Okay, that verse would not be there if God did not intend for children to please their parents. And the reason it's good for children to learn to please their parents is because when they get older, we hand them off to God, and now they're in God's hands, and we're no longer giving them direction for their life, but God is giving them direction for their life. And I believe with all my heart that people would not struggle with the will of God as much as they do if parents would step in and begin to parent their children, begin to discipline their children, begin to correct their children, and begin to say, you know what, it's okay to please mom and dad. Is somebody with me this morning? But see, I I believe this, especially when it comes to fathers, that there are fathers missing in children's lives. And so now they don't know how to please the heart of a father. And because they don't know how to please the heart of a father, they struggle when they get older trying to discern the will of God for their life. The will of God for your life is to please the heart of the father. Is somebody with me this morning? And it's okay to teach our children, to train our children in that direction. Let me just give you a few things real quickly. Observations. When it comes to God's will, our life, out of Jonah chapter 3. The first one is this. God gives second chances. Are the airplanes too loud for you? Okay. Maybe you didn't hear me. The first one is this. Is God gives second chances. That would be a good place to say amen. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I am absolutely thrilled today. That God is a God of second chances. Look, look at what it says. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I am so God, glad that our God is a God of second chances. If our God was not a God of second chances, this place would be empty today. <laughs> I am so glad. I would not be able to stand up here and share with you the gospel if our God was not a God of second chances. It, let me just, am I the only one that's, has anybody else ever blown it before? Yeah. The rest of you are blowing it right now. You're lying. Lift up your hand. <laughs> See? If God was a God of second chances, boom, lightning would have hit you right then. <laughs> Liars. I am so glad that he is a God of second chances. And I'm glad that he's not only a God of second chances, I'm glad he's a God of third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, sixth chances. Are you with me today? Yeah, sure, his grace has a breaking point. I just don't want to find out where that breaking point is at. Okay? But I'm so glad. We see right here in Jonah that, that God is a God of second chances. He didn't, he didn't just say, okay, Jonah, all right, I'm glad you repented. Now just go back home. Hey, no, 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 no. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And I'm so happy for this. Here's, here's something that we've got to understand out of, the, out of here. Is that when God called him back, he didn't call him to something new. He called him right back into the exact same thing he intended for him the first time. God has second chances. It wasn't that, you know, Jonah in the belly of the well, he repented, you know, got right with God, and then boom, he gets spewed out, and it's like, okay, well, you blew that opportunity, so now there's another city a couple hundred miles away. No, the word of the Lord came to him again a second time. What does it say? Arise, go to Nineveh. Oh, that's the same place you wanted me to go to the first time. Is anybody with me this morning? 
He's a God of second chances, and he doesn't change his will. He doesn't change his purpose. He pushes Jonah in the same direction. He calls Jonah back to his original plan, his original purpose, and his original will. Is anybody else in here this morning that you've blown it and you thought you missed out on your opportunity and that that God has forgotten about that thing he called you to at a young age? Thank you for being honest. See, we're starting, we're we're working on it. We're getting honest now, okay? I've been there before. I I, I thought I blew it. God, you you can't use me. And then I read the Bible and it's like, oh, you can use David. You can use, (laughs) you can use me, okay? Why? Because he's a God of second chances. He's a God that restores. He's a God that redeems. He's a God that when you come back to your senses and come back to that place of repentance, he says, okay, now let's get going with the thing that I have for you. And I I don't know about you, but that, that to me makes me really, really happy. God calls him back to the original purpose. Here's the thing, though, we have to understand is that too many times when we, when we've blown it and we repent, because here, think about Jonah now. Jonah is running from Nineveh because in his mind he actually knows if he goes, God's probably going to forgive them. And this was the number one city that oppressed Israel. So that's why he's running. I don't want to go because, God, you're good, and they're going to repent, and you're going to forgive them. This is not fair, and then they're going to oppress us. Okay? And so oftentimes when we're, when we're in that and, and we ask for forgiveness, we, we hope that God changes his mind. Well, we're getting personal now, okay? Let, let me break it down to you like this. Let me break it down to you like this. There, 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 how many of you guys have ever, like, been attracted to somebody before? The more hands are going up. Good, okay. All right. How many of you attracted to somebody sitting next to you? If you're single, look around. Okay. Um, okay. And, and here's, here's, what, here's what happens, Okay. I've seen this happen. I was a youth pastor and young adult pastor for like 12 years. And, uh, and one of the biggest will of God things that, that young people struggle with is, is I'm in love with her. Dude, you're 12. You're not in love. Okay. You, you got the L part right, but it's, you're in lust with her. Okay. Because, you know. And so we work with this. With, with, and, and when they get into college now, and so we're working with them. And, and here's what we discover is that here they are. And maybe they're, maybe they're a believer. And they're, they're Christ followers. And they're plugged into church. And, man, they love God with all their heart. And now they start dating someone that's not a believer. Okay? And, you know, time goes on. And they get involved with this person. And they, deep down inside, they know it's wrong. And, and they shouldn't be involved with that person. But they are anyway. The pastors have told them, hey, you probably should, should break that off, you know, and, and whatever. And deep down inside, they know they're wrong. But they just keep going with it. And finally, God puts them in a season of confinement like Jonah. And they repent. Okay? And God spews them out. But when they've repented in their mind, they think that because they repented, that it should be okay now. So so true. And that, well, I repented, so God make them a Christian and make it okay for me to, you know, marry this person, okay? That is not the repent- way repentance works. Repentance isn't, okay, God, my decision is okay now. Repentance is, God, I was wrong. I yield my heart completely to you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Good, break up with her. Dang it! I mean, I don't know what was going on with Jonah's mind, but, but here he is running from Nineveh. He repents. He gets spewed out. I mean, I don't know what you would look like after being in a fish for three days, but it, it probably ain't pretty. Are you with me? 
And he gets out, and he's probably just a little bit like, you know, I mean, it's going to be bright because he's been in this dark. He's a little bit disoriented, and I'm sure he's like, whew, that was a close one. I don't know what he was thinking, but I know what I'll be thinking. God, please don't call me to Nineveh. But as soon as he gets spewed out, Jonah, arise. Why did he have to rise? Because he was laying on the ground disoriented. Arise. Go back to Nineveh. He's a God of second chances. But his second chance is, you've got to walk in obedience and do what I told you to do. Are you with me today? It's getting quiet. <laughs> I got a story, but I don't have enough time. Number two. God reminds us that his call is great. I think it's interesting that it doesn't just say arise and go to the city. It says arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. To me, this is God reminding Jonah, Jonah, this is not a little thing I'm asking you to do. This is a great thing I'm asking you to do. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to realize something, that when God calls us, his call is great. No matter what it looks like to us, no matter what we think about it, no matter if it lines up in our plans for our life or not, come on somebody, when God calls, his call is great. There are some, I just feel like the Holy Spirit just said this, there are some of you right now, you know you've been called, and you've been called specifically to full-time ministry, but you've been running from that call. I'll be honest with you, there was a season when I ran from the call of God on my life. I got called to be a pastor at the age of six. Are you serious? Yeah, I was tapped into the will of God. Me and God, man. In the cool of the day, we would walk through the garden. I was getting, you know? Now I could hear the voice of God. And I remember I was six years old. My dad was a pastor, and, and I, we just got home Sunday afternoon. Mom always made a killer, like, you know, big dinner slash lunch brunch thing. For, and so I was sitting in my room. Mom's cooking, and, and I had my little blue Bible, and I had this red pen, and, and I was sitting there on my bed. And for those of you who know me for a while, you've probably heard this story, but I was sitting on my bed, and I had this red pen, and I thought I was underlining key verses in the Bible. But come on, I'm six, somebody. And all I was doing is I was drawing lines down the column breaks and all the paragraph breaks, you know. But I felt like, man, I'm, I'm highlighting scripture in my Bible. My mom walks in to tell me dinner's ready. She walks in, she sees me with a red pen, drawing him. She goes, Ben, what are you doing? I said, Mom, I'm highlighting verses. She goes, why are you doing that? I said, because I want to be a pastor just like Dad. So she sat down with me. She, she said, here, let me show you how to do that. And she went to some key scriptures and highlighted some verses for me and showed me how to do that. Several years later, I had that same Bible out, and I was looking at it, and the babysitter saw it, and she was like, whoa, why'd you draw on your Bible? I said, no, no, I was highlighting my Bible. <laughs> she said, why'd you do that? I said, I'm going to be a pastor, just like my dad. Remember at the age of 16, now I knew that call was on my life to be a pastor, and then, and then life starts happening. And I start, I start designing my own purpose and my own will. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? We, we're probably going to finish right here. Um... I said, you know what I'm going to do? I said, I'm, I'm going I'm go to go into criminal justice because it just sounded good. I'm going to bust people. Ain't no one going to get past me. And I remember I began to design the, the will of God for my life and what I wanted to do, knowing the whole time in the back of my mind that God had called me to be a pastor. So 17, 18, man, I graduate from, from, from high school, and I'm going into college. I declare my major. I'm going into criminal justice, and they're like, well, what do you, you want to do? And I said, well, I want to eventually go into the FBI, and I want to be a psychological profiler. Come on, somebody. So I went on, and I got my degree in psychology. And let me just be honest with you, that degree has been more helpful 
than any other degree, I think, because as I'm sitting up here right now, I'm analyzing every single one of you. <laughs> yep. Pray for you afterwards. Ooh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I got my degree in psychology, and I was, I was pursuing this career. And I remember the, the first opportunity, actually, it was like the third opportunity. And back then, you had to, you had to test several times for uh, the police, like seven or eight times on average before you got hired. And so I started doing this, and my brother was a cop. He was working in Linwood, Washington. He said, Ben, we're hiring a bunch of police officers, and if you come... Um, man, you're going to get hired. I've already talked to them. There's not that many people testing, and uh, I got a word in for you. All you got to do is pass all the tests, and, and you're in. And I'm like, sweet. And so sure enough, man, I, I, I fill out the paperwork, and, and I send it in. They, they give me back the test dates, and it's a Saturday morning on a, a sunny spring day, the one and only sunny spring day in Seattle that you have. It just happened to be that day, and so I got in my car. I'm driving to the test, and as I'm driving, I'm going down Bellevue Way, and as I'm driving, all of a sudden, I'm, it's a straight stretch, and all of a sudden, my car starts doing 360s. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I go off into a ditch, and I still remember there's a white Jaguar coming at me. Right before it got to me, I slid into the ditch, and the white Jaguar, I can still, I can still see it. And I went into the ditch, and so, man, I try to put it in, drive out, can't get out of the ditch. So I called my brother, said, Mark, man, I might be late, I'm in a ditch. He's like, what are you doing in a ditch? <laughs> Thought it'd be fun. And I called the tow truck company, and the tow truck company was only two blocks away, and it took them an hour and 45 minutes to get to me. Hook it up, pull me out. It took them seconds to pull me out. I look, miss the test. Talk to my buddy. He said, Ben, where were you guys? I said, I was in a ditch. I told you. He's like, well, and, and back then you had to wait a whole year before you could reapply. But this, I, I know where I'm going with my life. I know what I'm going to do. So a year goes by. I'm now married, been married for a couple months. Man, I, I reapply, same place. My brother calls me and says, we are hiring a bunch of police officers. You're going to get hired. Sure thing. Just be here this time. Don't go in any ditches. Take the bus. Do something. Be here. So it's Wednesday, and my wife was still in college, and she is uh, taking all her classes, and I'd already graduated, and, and uh, you know, I didn't work till night. So I'd go down, and I'd play like four hours of basketball. Come on, somebody. I was productive with my time. So I go down to the gym, and I was playing at Bally's Pack West. In the middle of the second game at Bally's Pack West, uh, a guy gets upset with me in the middle of the game, turns around as I'm looking up, and punches me right in the face. Why are you laughing? <laughs> You're laughing because you had to have pretty long arms to reach, huh? Okay. Punches me right in the face. Hit me so hard, he had to go have uh, stitches in all of his fingers. Broke my tooth in half. I just remember I was kind of disoriented, kind of like Jonah coming out of the fish. I spit my tooth out on the ground, my tooth broke in half. I pick it up, and I'm just like, dude, <laughs> what are you doing? I would have retaliated, but he was a little bit buffer than me. <laughs> I know that's hard to imagine, but he was, okay? Gosh, you should see what's under this sweater. I picked up my tooth, walked out, and found the manager, had, had him kicked out, and it was him and all of his buddies. I was the only guy in there that didn't know anybody. And, and uh, so I come home, and Katie had just got back from class. I come stumbling in. I'm like, Katie. <laughs> it's kind of like Rocky, right? <laughs> she's like, what's wrong? And she comes over, and she sees my lip all bleeding. I have my tooth in my hand. I open up. She's like, wow. 
So she, she rushes me over to the emergency room. They're like, we can't do anything for you. You need to go to a dentist. And so I get to a dentist, emergency, you know, dentist. And, and he looks at me and he says, dude, you're going to be in a lot of pain in just a couple of hours because I can see the nerve, the nerve endings right there. We need to get that thing out ASAP. And I'm like, okay. So they put me under, pulled that thing out. It was on Wednesday. Thursday, I'm doing okay. Friday, I, I wake up. Um, my wife's talking to me. And I think I'm responding in my mind, but I'm not. And she starts freaking out, and I'm looking at her freaking out. I'm like, babe, what, what are you doing? And I think I'm responding to her, but I'm not. And so she quickly rushes me to the emergency room, and I get there, and I had 104 fever, and by this time it was 104 with Tylenol. And they thought I had scarlet fever at first. My skin was all red, and so they quickly do some stuff and whatever. And come to find out I had an infection from the, from the extraction of the tooth. They take that out, and they took that out. They, they pumped me full of antibiotics, all this stuff. And so by Monday... I'm fine. But Saturday was the test. <laughs> mm-hmm. Someone had to punch me in the face in order to wake me up. <laughs> the next Sunday, I go to church. I walk into the college class. There's about 80, 80 people in this college class. It's a very large church. And me and my wife were actively involved in ministry there. And we walk in, we sit down, and, and Pastor Jude's getting up to, to speak to the college class. And he's right before he starts his message, he stops and he looks out and he goes, I don't know who this is for, but there's somebody in here right now that, that you are running from the will of God. You, you, you're, you're getting close to getting in the will of God, but you're running from the good and perfect will of God for your life. And if you don't stop, something bad's going to happen. I was like, can we do an altar call right now? Hmm. God had something planned for me. I was running from his call. I was running from his will. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to me real clearly. Do not run from the will of God for your life because when you run from the will of God from your life, you run from the presence of God from your life. And when you run from the presence of God from your life, you are leaving the covering that is over your life, that covering that protects you, that covering that keeps you safe, that covering that keeps you walking in the right direction, that covering that... Uh, do not run from that because, ladies and gentlemen, life will get really ugly really fast and you might find yourself... Come on somebody in the belly of a fish, confined and restrained until you come back to your senses and you repent. And God says, okay, now that I've got your attention, arise now and go to Nineveh. Wait, that sounds real familiar. Yeah, it's the same call I had on you the first time. But listen to what he says. I'm going to close right here. Listen to what he says. Arise and go. My gosh, who will give me five more minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. You guys are, you guys know that one yet? You've been coming for a while. Let me just give this to you real quick because it's going to help somebody. He says, arise and go to Nineveh, the message that I will tell you. Before it was just arise and go to Nineveh and, and call them to repentance. Now it's, hey, I'm going to give you something specific because number one, you're not catching it. But number two, Jonah, I want you to see that, that what I want you to cry out, what I want you to tell them is, is maybe different than what I'm doing over here. Which shows me this, that although we know God's will for our life, is that none should perish, walk in obedience and produce that, that the message that I have to cry out might look a little bit different than the message you have to cry out. Call out with the message that I will tell you. That I will tell you. Let me just give this to you real quickly and honestly we're done. Discerning the will of God, it must go through three filters. I believe in order to, 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 to walk it in record. Number one is this. Discerning the will of God, three filters. The first one is this. He is building his church. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. 
He is building his church in which the gates of hell cannot, shall not prevail against. He is building his church. Ladies and gentlemen, he is building his church. The will of God for your life must be a part of that. That's what he's doing on the earth. What God is doing on the earth, he's doing through his church. Now, I'm not saying urban is his church. I'm saying urban is an expression of his church. So if this is not the church you go to, you're just here checking it out, then go and get involved in the church that you are at. Do something actively to produce members of that church, people that will cry out to God in that church. Do something. Are you with me today? Because he's building his church and everything we do. You say, well, I'm a business person. Awesome. The reason you're a business person making all that money is not so you can buy yourself another house. Right now, you, well, you might want to buy one. It might be a good time to invest if you have cash. <laughs> it's not so you can buy a nicer car. It's not so you can buy another pair of shoes, ladies. Well, okay. He's building his church, and you're a businessman, and God has established you as such so that you could accumulate wealth and say, man, who can I bless? How can I help Japan? How can I help this church? How can I pour the money that God has... Re- somebody with me today. That's why the moves that we make in our life, okay, if I move from here to there, if this is God's will, God, you're calling me there, obviously, because there's a church. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple that's been going to our church for about three, four months now. And they have just, they have just jumped in, Kevin, Kevin and Regina. And I am so thankful for them. Because since Regina has been here, we have launched our junior high ministry. Other people are very much a part of that and involved in that. But we were sitting at the house for dinner one night, night and she said, you know, my heart is really, really junior high. That's what I want to do. I want to do. And I was just like, sweet. Here it is. Do it. Really? Yeah. Kevin back there running sound. Help put this whole beauty. Isn't this thing cool? Thank you. I got one. Yeah. I think it's cool. Why? Because they understood something. God didn't just bring me here for a job. God did not just bring you here because, wow, that pastor is really cool. He's building his church. The second thing is this. We're a many-membered body. Many members, but one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12-27. Which tells me this, is that, man, it's just one body, but all of us have a part to play in it. And if I'm a, I'm a thumb, and I say, you know what? I don't like that body anymore. I want to go do my own thing. I'm going to be a rock star thumb. <laughs> and you cut yourself off from it. We can't function as we should. When you're discerning the will of God, how is it building his church? How are we actively involved as a member of the body? Lastly is this. How does it go back to 2 Peter 3, 9? That I'm not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Those three filters must be involved when we are discerning the will of God for our life. Should I move? I don't know. Have you checked out any churches there? No, not yet? Then probably not. I don't know, if you leave here, is God done with you here? Are you a thumb, and are you going to be a thumb at another church? How are you producing Christ followers for the kingdom of God? If you run from God's will, you're not fulfilling the purpose for your life. But if you settle now, God's will is your life. Surrender to him fully and completely, walking in obedience. Listen to me, look what happens when Jonah finally does it. A whole entire, a great city from the least to the greatest, is saved. And he preached the worst message ever known to man. Yep, 40 days from now, and God's going to destroy you. Eight words. 
That's all he said. At least that's all that he recorded. Worst message ever. What if I got up here on a Sunday and said, hey, guys, 40 days from now, you're all going to go die and go to hell. See you later. Worst message ever. And the whole city repents. Why? Because when you're in the will of God, everything you do is effective. Get in the will of God. Experience the will of God. And see a city be revived with his glory. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you, Lord God, that you're so good. God, you've got great plans, Lord God, for every person in this place. God, I thank you, Lord God, from the least to the greatest, from the youngest to the oldest. God, we see right here in Jonah chapter 3 that from the least to the greatest, from the king, hallelujah. God, you, you, you turned everyone's hearts because Jonah finally settled, I, I've got to do this. I've got to walk in obedience to the will of God for my life. And Lord, I know, Lord God, that same call that was on Jonah to walk in obedience is on us today. And that, God, if we would just settle in our heart and in our spirit, your will, our life, that, God, we would see, Lord, people in our neighborhood transformed. We would see people in our job place transformed. God, we would see people, Lord God, in our city from the least to the greatest saved. God, I thank you, Lord God, for what we see today in Jonah chapter 3, that a citywide revival took place because one man said, I have to do what God told me to do. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, I thank you, God, for those that are here today that are living in obedience to your word and your call and your purpose and your will. God, and because of that, people are being transformed. God, I thank you, Lord God, there's a whole city, God, that is waiting for our obedience. There's a whole city that's waiting for us to say yes to you. God, there's a whole city that is waiting for us to walk in the purpose and the will that you have for our life. God, as we do that, people walk towards the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for it.